Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, most days I would say that I'm probably not smart enough to tell you all something you don't already know. That I have a very educated audience, uh, high socioeconomic status. You know, we have uh, you know very very high achieving audience. So me telling you something you don't already know, not always an easy thing to do. But today I do believe I have a fact that might be news to some of you, and I think it's interesting. We'll give that to you coming up in a couple of minutes uh, from now. Prior to that. A quick confession. So I feel like on most days, I'm a pretty nice guy. I feel like that's kind of my reputation. I hope it is anyway. But while I, on almost a daily basis, achieve niceness, I don't always achieve classiness. Sometimes I'm just not a classy guy. I try to be, but some days I just sort of fail at that. Today is a day in which I'm about to fail spectacularly at the task of being classy because I am going to revel in making fun of Alabama here for a minute, and specifically Alabama fans. And if you're a Georgia fan, you will like this because here's the one thing that we've all kind of seen with our own eyes, and we're seeing even more of this now as you head towards the 2023 season. Alabama fans are forced to embrace a new normal, new reality that is very uncomfortable in comparison to the Alabama of the past. And listen, we'll all acknowledge this. You want to go back to the time of Nick Saban being Alabama coach starting in 2007, really kind of getting going there in 2008. Alabama has been the standard in college football. They have had an unprecedented run of success. It's been painful for those of us who don't like Alabama, who you know kind of grow tired of Alabama. Uh, the Crimson Tide has been a thorn in virtually all of our sides, whether we be Georgia or some other SEC team or even any other team in college football. Alabama's kind of been it, but things have a way of changing. And the and the the you know the 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 present has a tendency to turn into the past and all of a sudden something new is uh, on the uh, forefront in college football and right now that's what seems to be going on that right now in college football there's actually a new sheriff in town it's actually Georgia who has won back-to-back national championships it's the dogs who are on top and Alabama fans are having a little bit of trouble with all that I want to give you an example of this so Greg McElroy's got his own podcast of course McElroy is an ESPN analyst but also a former Alabama quarterback in his own right and on his podcast, he does like we do around here. Pretty much all podcasts have a somewhat similar format. You need to take some questions and kind of find out what the audience has to say. And so McElroy was asked a question on a recent podcast. And I want to just play the question. The I, I don't know who the voice is that's reading the question to McElroy here. Must be a producer of some sort. But the 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 McElroy is asked a question. And if you want to kind of get into the current psyche of Alabama fans, the current, I, I guess, mood that kind of uh, permeates through Tuscaloosa right now. This question asked to Greg McElroy on his podcast uh, is the perfect example of that. Take a listen to this from ESPN. Jake in Huntsville. Sounds like he's an angry Alabama fan. Hear me out here. There's a national narrative that Georgia football is now on a different level than Alabama football. And the impression given by many outlets is that Bama isn't even in the same class as Georgia. However... Over the last 14 years, Georgia's 1-7 versus Bama with their sole victory coming in the 2022 National Championship, a game in which they trailed in the fourth quarter. Should we pump the brakes on this narrative? How far do you really think the gap is between the two at this moment? So it's not the Alabama football team's fault. It's the narrative's fault. 
Alabama not fighting against Georgia, a team that's won 29 of its last 30 games in 15 a year ago. Alabama fighting against this narrative. There's this narrative out here that Georgia's overtaken Alabama. But don't you remember 2007? Don't you remember, you know, distant past? Like, this is what Georgia has sort of turned Alabama into now. A team that's kind of gone back to the old days. And that's what people used to say about Georgia. Oh, you know, Georgia lives in the past. Georgia's trying to hold on to the past. Well, guess what? Georgia has sort of turned these other teams, including Alabama, into what all these other teams said Georgia once was. This team that's living in the past and, you know, you know, going back and, you know, uh, uh, distant memories. Well, guess what? Sounds like right there on the base of that Greg McElroy podcast, that's exactly what Alabama fans are doing right now. And McElroy, who is a former Alabama quarterback, but faced this direct question, had to give it to him straight. And listen. If you're a Georgia fan, don't you wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall of every, you know, dwelling in the state of Alabama that has to hear one of their own, a guy who, you know, was a part of early success for Nick Saban, having to say that I know we were part of those teams and after I was gone there was even more great success that came, but y'all for right now, that's not the current landscape of college football. But on the basis of the question that McElroy was just asked, he had to give it to him. He had to, he had to, he had to, he had to deliver the news that right now it is Georgia who's on top of the college football world. Blunt talk from a former Tide quarterback. Let's start with the fact that Georgia right now is the standard in college football. That is not some secret. That is not some hypothesis. This is fact. They've won consecutive national championships. They are right now, based on preseason prognostications, favored by many to win three in a row. Now, will they? Uh, we'll find out. I mean, we haven't seen the three-peat, obviously, in quite some time. But when you look at Georgia and what they've done the last couple of years, they've done a remarkable job of being able to replenish talent. We talked last year going into the season. Can they replace 15 players that were drafted in the 2023 NFL draft? 2022 NFL draft, excuse me. Can they replace nine players on defense? Can they replace that many first-rounders? And many people, self-included, had question marks going into last year. Would they be able to replicate the success of the year before? And not only did they do that, I think in many ways, last year's team was even maybe even a little bit better across the board at times than they were in 2021 when they won the first championship under Kirby Smart. They're the standard. They're number one right now. There's no denying that. So listen, I think there's an element of what McElroy says there that needs to be taken seriously. And this is one of those things I think you've probably heard me say before. Like naturally, I'm just sort of a contrarian. Like when everybody's going one way, I have a tendency to be you know, interested in the other direction. And so a year ago, I think I probably said many times in the show that I thought it was overstated the degree to which that Georgia was being counted out because it had lost 15 draft picks off the previous year's team that's obviously a lot to replace as a lot of that came on defense we didn't sugarcoat the fact it was going to be a big challenge for UGA but what you kind of heard us say is hey in the college football playoff era CFP national champions there'd only been two of them that didn't make the playoff again the following year in other words we have kind of a history of other than like say LSU 2019 uh, that the team that wins the national championship doesn't just disappear the next year. So I actually thought coming in to last season, the 2022 campaign, that Georgia was kind of underrated, that Georgia was being universally counted out unfairly. We talked about that when Georgia was preseason number three, that unanimously everybody seemed to sort of assume that both Bama and Ohio State would be better than Georgia a year ago. We thought that Georgia was undervalued, and obviously the season proved us to be right on that. 
But conversely, much the same way that I thought that too much was being made of what Georgia needed to replace prior to the 2022 season, there's almost the opposite conversation happening right now. And if you're a Georgia fan, I think you got to take this seriously, where because Georgia has now won two straight national championships, all of a sudden the assumption is, well, if they've won the last two, then the third's going to be easy. But as McElroy, I think, correctly points out, if it was easy, someone would have done it before now because Georgia's obviously not the only very, very talented team who's had a shot at winning three straight national championships. And yet, in the, what we, however you define the modern era of college football, no one's been able to do that. So if you're a Georgia fan, while you laugh at Alabama having to squirm and complain and deal with the fact that Georgia, is, to use McElroy's own word there, the actual standard in college football – uh, while that you kind of enjoy and, and 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 revel in the misery of Alabama fans having to come to grips with just how true this really is, on the same token, you probably shouldn't get too cocky about what Georgia's path to the national championship is here this year. They're going to be preseason number one, but the preseason number one a year ago didn't win last year's national championship. So being preseason number one is not necessarily comforting news, just given, you know, frankly, how, how sometimes incorrect some of those early preseason predictions can be. So while we believe that Georgia absolutely has a chance to win the national championship this upcoming year, I don't think there's anyone, certainly not me, or I would say hopefully not most of you, think it's going to be an easy path to be able to get there. But now that we've said that, let's get back to, uh, you know, kind of uh, making fun of Alabama again, because the other point that McElroy mentioned in this particular conversation I want to make sure you heard is, is that McElroy lays it out in no uncertain terms the inquisitor that we heard from a moment ago who I guess asked this question via social media email whatever else and other Alabama fans like him just how much they are currently living in the past we all know this is true and McElroy told him plainly one more time him from his podcast now Alabama for a very long time the better part of a decade maybe even longer than that was the standard in college football they were number one they had the best players. Regardless of who departed the program, it didn't matter. The expectations remained the same. That has not quite been the case the last couple of years. Doesn't mean that they can't get back there. It doesn't mean things won't be different when we have this conversation a year from now. But ultimately, Georgia is the top dog. No pun intended. So, yes, one in seven, but you're citing back into a time in which Mark Rick was the head coach at Georgia. You're citing back into a time in which Nick Saban was going head-to-head -head against Kirby Smart in 2017. Kirby Smart was in year two. Nick Saban was in year 10 or 11. So it's a little bit different to compare those teams. It was early in Smart's tenure. He's done a remarkable job of creating Georgia from the same vein that Alabama was created with back in the early part of the Saban tenure. 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. Looks a lot similar when... They won three championships in a five-year period and was at number one in all five years. Looks very similar to what George is creating right now. So listen, I think that McElroy brings up two points there that are really, really important. One of them is obvious. One of them may be less obvious, but it's no less important. Here's the first thing, and we all would say this. Whatever happened between George and Alabama before Kirby Smart got here is totally irrelevant. Totally irrelevant. It is completely meaningless. It may be bragging rights for Alabama fans right now, but we're coming up upon an age in which recruits weren't even alive to, or at least old enough to even remember any of that time. It's just not relevant in the current college football conversation. And that's essentially self-evident. Everybody understands that to be true. But the other part of what McElroy brings up there which I believe is just as true, although maybe not quite as obvious. If you look at the battle between these teams 
since uh, Kirby Smart has been at Georgia. You see signs of slippage. You see signs of erosion potentially taking place, as uh, McElroy pointed out. You know, Alabama did win the national championship in 2017, but, y'all, that was Kirby Smart's second year on the job after an 8-5 and five season the year before and after, you know, relatively lackluster uh, final year for Mark Rick in 2015. Within two years, Kirby Smart was playing Alabama for the national championship and almost won the game. Now, some people say he should have won the game, but the fact of the matter is that was that was Kirby's second season, and he'd already gotten to an even playing field with Alabama for the national championship, and Alabama had to have a touchdown in overtime to be able to win it. And since then, what's the only other national championship that Alabama's won? In 2020, in a pandemic, which we have no problem saying is not the same thing as all the other seasons. It's just not. Florida won the East that year. Texas A&M finished the top five that year. We have a lot of evidence of things happening in 2020 that have not had very much permanence since then. If I'm an Alabama fan, that makes me nervous about my most recent national championship, especially in light of the fact that Kirby Smart, who left Alabama to build a power at Georgia, has now won the last two. That is real, and that's what's been taking place. And obviously, the Crimson Tide fan would have every right to say, yeah, but B.A., we're coming back. We're going to get our revenge this year. We're going to be back in the college football playoff conversation. We're going to get a chance to beat Georgia again. After all, we did do that in the SEC championship in 2021. And that may be true. That may be true. But I'm going to leave you with one final point. This is a kind of a serious football point for a minute. This is what we're about to find out this year. We're about to find out what kind of actual coach Nick Saban really is. Because in recent years in Alabama, when you've got first-round draft pick this and you know, you know, smart offensive coordinator that, all Nick Saban kind of appeared to be to me was just the CEO of a football machine and business was good. Well, guess what? The football machine's not humming along quite the same way anymore. There, by, certainly by perception, is no more Bryce Young at quarterback. There is no more Steve Sarkeesian at offensive coordinator. The things that have sort of made Alabama Alabama don't seem to be present anymore. So Alabama will be a top-ranked team. They'll be in the top three, top four to begin the preseason almost certainly. But it's not Nick Saban as the CEO of a football machine anymore. It's now Nick Saban having to coach some guys up finding a quarterback after what looks like a pretty mediocre competition taking place. You bring in a, a, a transfer who wasn't even likely to start at Notre Dame. Uh, you're talking about you know some changeover on defense. We're going to be leaning on some young guys in a way that Alabama has not always had to do in the past. We're about to find out how good of a coach Nick Saban is. Now, he's obviously been a great coach in the past, but is he still a great coach right now? We're going to find it out. If he's not, then Georgia very well could be on a march to a third straight national championship. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Breda Pass Management. We're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us live on video. 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, uh, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref Podcast, Apple, Spotify, uh, post show at the world famous dognation.com. We're actually getting caught up on some of the shows that we missed at the website. So uh, for those of you that listen to the show via the website, you'll be having a bunch more of those kind of popping in. We had one of those yesterday, and we'll kind of get you caught up there at dognation.com on all of that, and then kind of get back to our regular schedule as far as posting the show uh, there at the worldfamousdognation.com. Of course, really big thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management who make today's show possible. You know, I love them because they're the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. What that means is, is that the kind of strength and, you know, just uh, quality of, of, of service that Breda Pest Management is famous for, recognized by UGA. They're the uh, the pest control company that UGA trusts 
which means you can have that same level of service, that same level of expertise for your own house or your you know commercial property, whatever you have that, that needs protected. You can have that from our friends at Breda Pass Management. And the good news here, for a company that's been in business since 1975, 125, I think that's the number, 125 employees, just, just you know, very successful, very well-entrenched in our community company, the, the level of resource they're able to provide, they also want to leverage that for your benefit there too because they're not some fly-by-night company that's just trying to do whatever they can to get by here. The company you work with might be. And one of the best signs that kind of proves that's true, you get that letter in the mail, oh, cost of service going up. It seems like the quality of service goes down, the cost of service goes up. But at Breda Pest Management, that's not going to be the case. When you make the switch to Breda, you're going to put more money in your pocket instantly just for making that decision so don't put it off make it right now uh go to bradapest.com that's b-r-e-d-a bradapest.com you can trust the same pest control company uh, that uga trusts to protect all of its athletic venues they can do the same thing for you so find them online at bradapest.com great to have them with us here on dog nation daily today all right coming up in a couple of minutes i am going to give you an update on a really fun contest we're running here at Dog Nation right now, honoring some of the great moms in our audience. I'm going to tell you how you can be a part of that and really celebrate a great mom in your life. We'll do that here coming up in just a few minutes. Prior to that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. And as I mentioned, it is rare for me to be able to tell you something you don't already know because many of you are very, very sharp, very, very smart people. But when I have a chance to do that, I just want to make sure we do that. You know, let's, let's be informative from time to time. So I thought it was kind of cool. The other day, Sports Source Analytics, this is like a, as the name would suggest, an analytics company that, <laughs> that follows sports. They are used by the college football playoff. Uh, this is one of the, 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 the companies contracted by the playoff to supply them some data, and they have a t- Twitter feed. And their Twitter feed put out something very interesting the other day uh, that I thought that maybe some of y'all might not quite be aware of. Let me show you this on the screen. This is coming from Sports Source Analytics. This is going back to April 30th. For as much, they say, as we talk about Georgia football's defense, let's not forget that over the last five years, the NFL draft, the dogs have had the most offensive players drafted. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Because we've obviously kind of focused on the fact that I believe that Georgia has seven first-round picks on defense the last two years. It's eight in the last three years, right? So we've obviously seen this incredible haul of Georgia – on the defensive side, and that can be well documented, including this year's draft as well. But as Sports Source points out, if you actually count up all draft picks overall, Georgia's actually had more offensive players drafted than anyone. It doesn't seem like it would be true, but it is true. And part of the reason why that is true is because over the course of the last couple of years, Georgia has just been so prolific offensively. I you know, got more credit for that seemingly in 2022, but Georgia was one of the best offenses in the country back in 2021 there as well. And so I guess the question this would lead me to ask is, well, what's next for Georgia then? Because obviously there's a transition taking place. Todd Munkin is out as offensive coordinator. He's going to the Baltimore Ravens. Mike Bobo is in. And this to me, if you're looking for a way in which for Mike Bobo to kind of establish himself as the new architect of the Georgia offense, this would be one of the ways I believe he'd be able to get that done. Because for as much as Georgia's been able to do offensively the last you know, couple of years, a lot of guys drafted. What you really haven't seen in the Todd Munkin era is that big breakthrough necessarily in terms of skill position player going early in the draft. You've seen plenty of offensive linemen, Broderick Jones this year. You can certainly cite, you know, big time offensive linemen who moved on to the NFL. Uh, but, you know, this year, Georgia, fourth round quarterback, seventh round running back, uh, you know, third round tight end when you talk about Darnell Washington. 
you know, you haven't really seen yet that big breakthrough yet in terms of offensive players, skill position players being drafted early in the draft, much the same way the Georgia defensive guys have been uh, the last few years. So that's what's next for Georgia, I believe, offensively. Mike Bobo has a chance to kind of put his stamp on this Georgia offense by doing that. Now, it's easy to assume that Brock Bowers is going to be that guy. We're going to talk more about Bowers later on this week, but he's not the only one. And I think a lot of this, why Georgia has had so many offensive players drafted in recent years and why the next horizon for Georgia offensively may be seeing those guys drafted just as highly as Georgia defensive players have been, to me, it's the overall overarching offensive philosophy in place at Georgia that allows that to be true. I want to go back to something from last summer. And to be honest with you, I forget where this was. This may have been – actually, I do think I remember. This was from that WJOX interview that Smart did prior to the golf tournament a, a year ago. He always plays in that uh, uh, celebrity program around the uh, PGA Tour Champions event over in Birmingham. Uh, and so he was doing radio interview and some about the Georgia offense. And it's kind of funny. You hear the context of this. As I mentioned before, it seemed like in, after the 2021 season, Georgia didn't quite get enough credit for what it done offensively. And Kirby Smart, you know, not typically one to care very much about defending his program. But in this particular case, it seemed like he was kind of offering a defense of, hey, y'all didn't give us credit for the fact we were actually good offensively in 2021. We believe we could be good in 2022. And goodness knows they were. They averaged more than 40 points per game uh, for this past season. We kind of called for them to average 42. They actually came within about a point or so of doing that for the full season, scoring 65 in a national championship will help you in that regard uh but nonetheless you know why has georgia had so many guys drafted more than anybody else in the nfl over the span of time that sports source analytics was citing earlier it's because of an offensive philosophy in plays like the one that kirby smart described last summer take a listen to this well we want to be explosive and we were last year you know people people have this miss everybody talks about the defense they got overshadowed that we were top 10 in explosive passes um a lot better than a lot of a lot of teams in the country at throwing the ball down the field uh we did that with very effective because we were able to run the ball so we have to continue to do that we've got some tight ends we got to utilize we've got three or four wideouts that are really good players and we think we've got some really good young backs that are going to help us so that's what smart said prior to last season he called a shot turned out to be true and we believe with a new offensive coordinator in place, it can be true for Georgia here once again. But but the way to really kind of prove that, because it's one thing to sort of do it and have it fly under the radar, we would say Georgia offensively has kind of done that the last couple of seasons. But if you want to no longer fly under the radar, if you want to finally get the credit you feel like you deserve, then having a few guys kind of break through on the first nine of the NFL draft, the way that Georgia has been doing obviously defensively now for quite some time, that'd be a good way to do this. Brock Bowers might be one, but when you hear Kirby Smart say, hey, we feel pretty good about some of our wideouts there as well. He said that prior to last year, but on paper, it seems like this year's group of wide receivers might be even better. Getting Georgia back to the kind of RBU style of running backs who put up big, prolific stats and become just as much of a factor on draft night as Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb and DeAndre Swift would have been in uh, recent years. You know, that's a way to do this there as well. This could be a very fun season, in other words where the Georgia offensive reputation grows. And finally, even though by results it should have already gotten this credit, but finally stands alongside the Georgia defense as a unit that's viewed to be just as imposing on its opponents as the Georgia defense has been for quite some time. That is Around the Doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily Today. And before we get our buddy Mike Griffith, who makes his normal Wednesday uh, uh, appearance on our program, 
let me tell you about something really fun going on right now with our friends at Kroger. Now, many of you have already taken advantage of this, and you've kind of shown support for a mother in your life. But for those of you who have not, this is the time to do that. We're doing our Kroger Perfect Moms giveaway starting next week. Now, why do we call it Perfect Moms? I think you can probably figure this out because we're celebrating a perfect season for the Georgia Bulldogs. And, of course, for so many of us, we're sort of thankful for the mom in our life who was just the absolute perfect person we needed. And every time we needed him, it seems like we always do. I feel that way about my own mom, who I got a chance to see last night. She came to watch my son play baseball always there always supporting and I'm always so grateful for that but I'm also grateful to see the way my wife has become a mother and it's kind of fun when you're you know obviously I knew my you know wife well before she was ever a mother and to see her in this role now and to see how you know my kids respond to her each and every day I just I I just love that it's one of those things that just sort of makes you feel very alive when you see the way in which you know your family's you know interacting and of course I'm so thankful for the way in which my mom's at the standard for that as I was growing up there as well and many of you have the same kind of feelings you you're thankful for your mom. You're thankful for the mom you have in your life. Some of you even see your own children now, your own daughters who've gone on to become mothers. I can only imagine how uh, uh, just amazing that must be. Well, whoever that mom is for you, let's acknowledge them as a perfect mom, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the top of the page there at dognation.com. It's super easy to find. Click into it, and you can tell us and our friends at Kroger why the mom in your life, whether it is your mom, uh, whether it's your wife who's a mom to your kids or your daughter who's become a mom herself or whatever your story is. Stories can be uh, as unique as, as our audience is. Whatever the story is, let us know. And then next week, we're going to start drawing some of these names at random, and we're going to recognize these folks as Kroger Perfect Moms next week. And the good news is, for those who do get acknowledged as a Kroger Perfect Mom, we've got an amazing array of gift cards $350 in value that we're going to be giving out to our Kroger Perfect Moms. It's 150 bucks to Kroger, a $100 Macy's gift card, and a $100 Bath & Body Works gift card there as well. So you get three great gift cards valued at $350. All of that taking place uh, right now at dognation.com. So you have between now and noon on Sunday, that's May 7th, noon on Sunday to get your nominations in. And then starting next week, we're going to be announcing a Kroger Perfect Mom winner each and every day here. And those Kroger Perfect Moms get $350 worth of gift cards, including a $150 gift card to Kroger there as well. So what an amazing thing. And, of course, don't forget, Mother's Day also comes up two Sundays from now on May 14th. So uh, for the gift cards you need to buy and the flowers and the stuff to make Mother's Day great around your house, our friends at Kroger got you covered on all of that. So make sure you check that out today. All right, we have some newsy stuff to kind of get to here for a minute. Uh, also, before we're done, we kind of laughed at Alabama off the top of the show. I have something very funny on Florida coming up as well, too. You're going to really, really like this. Billy Neighbors kind of taking some heat right now, and it's not a bad thing if you're a Georgia fan. So we'll tell you more about that here in just a little bit. But for now, aftermath of the NFL draft, the release yesterday of the college football playoffs schedule that I think was a little bit more controversial than I expected to be and what's next for the SEC too with a big announcement coming here we think in a couple of weeks let's do all of that with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pest Management from Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider and of course Mike Griffith had a great uh you series of stories and videos at dognation.com. I got a chance to be embedded with Kenny McIntosh and his family prior to the NFL draft. Uh, uh, McIntosh being selected by the uh, uh, Seattle Seahawks. A little too late for some Georgia fans who obviously enjoyed McIntosh's career, but nonetheless, McIntosh was so gracious and grateful to uh, get that call and get a chance to speak to Pete Carroll and 
Uh, Mike, you're kind of behind the scenes there with Kenny on that. Really great coverage. As we kind of lead into uh, our conversation here today, you know, Mike, what were your overarching thoughts on, you know, the, the, the weekend for George with the NFL draft? What was kind of on your mind after those three days kind of played out? Well, Brandon, it was it was really interesting. You know, obviously Kirby does a great job developing talent, and, and I talked with uh, I talked with you know Howie at the NFL Combine, and he made it clear how much he thought of the Georgia program and Kirby, and he certainly backed up his words. You know, spending time with Kenny and his family, it really you know you could really understand why he's you know such a charismatic leader, the alpha leader of the offense is. Kirby called him, um, you know, universally well liked. The guy everybody listens to. I mean, he, he kept a real stiff upper lip until until he got the call, and, and then you saw all the emotions come out. You know, Kenny McIntosh, human after all. I was standing in the kitchen with his his mom and his dad and his uncle and Robert Bailey, the representative from Rosenhouse, and you know they they called me over there to discuss the free agent deals on the table with the Eagles and the Cowboys and. You know, the the money that was being offered and the pros and cons of both of those opportunities. And, you know, we were all in the middle of just chopping it up, as they said, uh, when the when the call came. And, and Kenny came downstairs just, you know, really in tears. Uh, it was For those that haven't seen the video, it's, it's remarkable. These Seattle fans are all over it. They've had, I think there's over 40,000 views of that video on the Dog Nation YouTube fans, uh, the YouTube page, the Seattle Seahawks fans. And then... Um, and then I reached out to Sean Alexander, uh, who I knew from Alabama, and I said, hey, you know, this just Georgia player I know just got drafted, man. You might want to give him a call. And, of course, Sean was, um, you know, an MB- NFL MVP with the Seahawks and kind of called Kenny and welcomed him to the Seahawks family. So turned That's out, good. Brandon, that Jim Nagy uh, had talked to the GM. Of course, Kenny went to the Senior Bowl, and, and they actually had him rated higher than the second-round pick, Zach Charbonnet from UCLA. And, and Jim told the Seahawks GM that. He said, look, this is just crazy that this guy's on the board. Chances are the Cowboys were going to draft him coming up. Um, of course, they had drafted Deuce Vaughn around earlier. And at that point, you're thinking, wait a minute. They just picked some five foot five guy over. Well, his dad's a scout with the team. You're going, oh, my gosh. Couldn't, Kenny couldn't buy a break. So uh, there was a lot going on for sure, Brandon. It was fascinating to be behind the scenes. You know, for Georgia now, obviously you're reminded once again, now we went through this a year ago, I thought probably too much was made of this a year ago, uh, what Georgia had to replace, but obviously when you see, you know, guys like Jalen Carter no longer here and Broderick Jones no longer here, you know, I I think the job for Georgia now, kind of figuring out who sort of steps in and fills these shoes, that is not an insignificant storyline for the Dogs this offseason, is it? Not at all. And not at all, Brandon. You know, just look at Alabama and, and, and many analysts and prognosticators, and we all just thought, well, Bryce Young's back, and Georgia just lost 15 players, and Bama's in a better position to reload than, than Georgia because they have fewer pieces to replace, and they're bringing back the best quarterback in the country. I mean, certainly got my Heisman vote two years in a row, um, and he was the number one overall pick as well, um, and put 41 points up on a defense I think is the best I've ever seen. Um, and yet they fell short. They didn't even win the West. And Kirby understands that. Kirby knows it's not a given. Dog fans need to know that. You need to stay hungry. You need to realize there's a lot of work to be done. It's not just going out there with the G on the helmet. And You know, I've seen a real double-down commitment from the players this spring. Um, really like where this team's mindset is at. Really like how the quarterback looks. Quarterbacks look, both of them. Feel strong about that. Had a story today about both of them being in the top 20 in the Heisman odds. So a lot of confidence in the odds makers that Mike Bobo will have this offense going, Brandon. 
I want to change the subject here for a moment, Mike, and I'm going to ask you to do me a favor here for a second. I want you to try to think like a fan. Obviously, you've uh, covered this sport for a long time, but I want you to think like a fan for a minute because I was a little bit surprised yesterday by some of the negative reaction to the release of the new playoff format for 2024 and 2025. And the best that I can tell trying to follow this on social media, it sort of stems from when these games are going to be played. We've kind of known for a while that you're going to have, you know, for the uh, in the expanded 12-team playoff, you're going to have four games that take place on college campuses, which would lead to a quarterfinal situation that kind of takes place. And what we sort of think of as kind of you know, sort of a bowl format that moving on to a semifinal, moving on to a championship. But, Mike, the best that I can tell is what some people are unhappy with is the fact that if you look at the 2024 uh, 2025 postseason schedule coming up that first round games are going to take place on a Friday uh, you know talking about looking ahead a year now December 20th 2024 and then three games taking place on Saturday December 21st for some people the idea of playing these games on campus so close to Christmas doesn't seem to be all that enticing and then you're talking about quarterfinal games taking place on a Tuesday and a Wednesday that's New Year's Eve and New Year's Day semifinal games taking place on a Thursday and a Friday that's not a holiday situation that's just you know random times in early January before playing a national championship on Monday January 20th the placement of these dates and and the, the 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 days of the week has been a little bit I guess controversial to some fans to me, Mike, I sort of think the format is still a positive, even you know, though even though you're having to kind of you know navigate the schedule based on when the NFL is playing its games. What do you make of the announcement that came out yesterday, and how this is going to impact the fans? Well, I agree with you, Brandon. I mean, it, it is great for college football, and the reason it's great for college football is because it's what enables Georgia to continue to play, you know, home and home. You know, with with some fantastic teams like UCLA and Florida State, because now, you know, you can afford to lose another regular season game essentially and still get into a twelve team playoff. Now, let me let me unpack there. You, you said a lot there, so let me unpack it. So they have these deals in place with the New Year's Six uh, games. They're contracted to them for another two years, and right. in order to get to this twelve team playoff, this was the format that you had to go with in terms of. Uh, still playing at the New Year's Six Bowl sites in the, in the uh, second round. Now, I don't know what happens after that. It's possible they stay in the mix. Um, it's possible they don't. But, but you and I both know that, you know, when you, when you don't know the answer to something, you usually, you know, connect the dots and follow the dollars. And television revenue is a really big part of all this. You know, one of the big questions facing college sports right now is paying players and, my goodness, paying coaches. What does Nick Saban make, $12 million a year not to even win the West? Um, I think John Calipari makes close to that as well, and I don't want ten years since he's won a title. But my point is, you've got to come up with this money somewhere. And if the fans think they're being squeezed right now, just imagine how much they'd be in, they'd be squeezed for ticket prices and and parking donations if there wasn't a Goliath television contract behind this. So TV kind of calls the shots, not kind of, they do. I think that's why we still have a thirteen member college football playoff committee. Up. You know, black helicopter theory for another day. But basically, TV makes the rules, and TV pays the bills. TV keeps the lights on. And if this is what makes dollars and makes sense, then this is what we're going to do, because this is what's going to pay the coaches and pay the players and, and keep the product churning at a time when more money than ever is de- in demand uh, because of coaches' salaries, because of NIL, because of uh, the demand for elite facilities to continue to get the best players in the country. So I guess it's a roundabout way of saying that's just the way it is to maintain the quality of product, and I think it benefits Georgia. I really do. 
I think the strong gets stronger as a result of this, and certainly Georgia right now on top of the college football world. So let me ask you a question, Mike, because what I've heard some people say, and I don't necessarily agree with this myself. I actually I think I don't agree with this, but what I have heard some people say, so I want to give it some credence, is let's say that for whatever reason in 2024 Georgia's the five seed. I, you know What would have to happen for Georgia to be the five seed, I don't know, but they're not one of the teams that get the bye. They're one of the teams that have a chance to host a playoff game. Now, I've said for a long time, gosh, the excitement of hosting a playoff game in Sanford Stadium, that seems amazing. But what some people have said is, well, if you're playing this thing on a Friday afternoon, five days before Christmas, I'm not even sure San Francisco would be sold out. That, that oh, yeah, we're doing all this for TV. You're trying to find a way to avoid the NFL. So you're putting a game on Friday afternoon so close to Christmas. Do you think that Sanford Stadium is a hot atmosphere, 93,000 people, hot ticket? Do you think that's a hot ticket for fans playing on Friday, December 20th? Absolutely. No Are you sure? I mean, I mean, I mean, I think you're. I mean, I think you're probably right. But, but I want to. I want to consider the other side of this. Are you sure that's true? Yeah, yeah, I'm positive. You know, I, I look at I look at cities like Pittsburgh and Green Bay and all these fans that are out and you know shivering in you know New England in zero minus weather, and there are so many dog fans, Brandon, and Atlanta's proximity. And don't forget, there's another team coming, and, and there'll probably be a you know a split ticket there. So I don't think there'd be any issue with that. I don't think attendance is going to be an issue with 92,000. I mean, that's dropping the bucket when you look at the millions of dog fans and certainly many of them, you know, watching Dog Nation deal. It may not be the most convenient. Certainly, to your point, it's not convenient. But this isn't about convenience. Like I said, this is about dollars and cents. I mean, my goodness, how many games have you and I sat at, you know, right next to one another on New Year's Eve? I mean, I, th- I don't think people would want to be watching New Year's football on New Year's Eve. I think they want to be, you know, doing something else. They'd much rather be on New Year's Day. But there we were because of the television contract. And, you know, just the historic value of a game like this, the first ever, uh, you know, time that Georgia hosts a playoff game. And I don't know what's ahead in terms of the dates and the times. And, and you know, Brandon, if it doesn't work, um, you know, for example, I said there, I have no doubt about what, you know, what Georgia would do if they were hosting, you know, but what if it's North Carolina? Now, now I, I can't tell you what it's going to look like. Or what, what if it's, uh, you know, what if it's an undefeated Boise State? I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't speak for other programs. But if you're telling me the dogs are hosting a playoff game, I'm going to tell you the fans are going to turn out back stadium no matter the time or day. I think you're probably right. I really do. I was just very surprised at how much just social media chatter was kind of negative about this yesterday. And it's not the first negativity I've heard where there are a lot of people who sort of feel like that the – you know the, the 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 fan who who loves college football and loves making these trips and loves doing that kind of stuff is kind of you know kind of being elbowed out here at the expense of TV and TV alone. Let me talk about something completely different. Although I guess it's not totally different. Mike, we talked last week a little bit about those SEC spring meetings that are coming up and what I expect to be the the schedule release announcement, or at least about the format anyway. Maybe I don't get the full schedules, but the format for the SEC. It sounds like based on some chatter that's out there as of late is there may actually be a little bit more pushback to the expansion to a nine-game conference schedule than I realized. And some of this, it seems like, sort of centers around whether or not ESPN is going to pony up more money to the SEC for playing the expanded schedule. We talked last week about the fact that there was at least plenty of reporting a year ago that Kentucky was against going from an eight-game to a nine-game schedule. And there may be other schools who are against this as well. And and uh, I guess if ESPN is not willing to write a bigger check, then then maybe it's not a given that the SEC moves to a nine-game conference slate. What do you make of some of the chatter that's out there on that right now? 
Well, yeah. Again, you know, a couple a couple issues here. I don't know where ESPN's finances are at. I know that this is, you know, that ESPN is the SEC's television partner, and if if ESPN's financial struggles, uh, you know, are are, are going to prevent them from, you know, matching the offers that the Big Ten contract is, then then the Big Ten's got the leg up. Then they've won the war. Um, you know, adding UAC and UCLA is adding Los Angeles. They've already got Rutgers in that television market. They've got Northwestern in Chicago. And people say, well, now, wait a minute. There's not a lot of people that watch uh, Rutgers in New York. No, but they'll watch all the other Big Ten teams, right? Because that's what puts the Big Ten market in that city. So the Big Ten already has the three largest television markets in the country cornered. They have the richest television contract, and before long, they're going to be able to afford these coaches. And you know the coaches are all mercenaries. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. They'll be able to take some of the best coaches away. Now, I don't think Kirby Smart's going anywhere, uh, you know. But but uh, you know, there's there's a good chance that you know they'll be able to hire some of the most elite coaches, and they'll be able to catch up in facilities or, or surge ahead um, if they have more television money. So the SEC has to counter that. And the thought process has been that if you add another conference game, uh, that your television package becomes worth more, right? And that just makes sense. And it, now, if ESPN saying, "Well, no, wait a minute, you can add another conference game, but we're not necessarily going to pay you more," you know, well then that that does um, you know that does create uh, an issue, and it's something that I'm sure these programs and athletic directors and presidents are talking about. But as far as who's against it, uh, it it's it's the it's the mediocre teams, it's the coaches that are that don't want to lose that extra game. They they cling to these McNeese State wins because it was it's what keeps them uh, in the black, so to speak, in terms of a one loss record, and it's. It's one more big win for the fans to see a team win 66 to, to 10 at home uh, instead of a potential loss in a, in a conference game. So there is a lot of push and pull. Uh, it is a big ticket item for Greg Sankey. It will be discussed. I think the spring games will be discussed. I think that's, I think you might see some traction there. Vince Dooley's idea, and it's really sad to me that they coach Dooley's not getting the credit for this idea that he came up with 40 years ago. Everybody wants to pounce on it and say it's their idea in the last two or three years. Vince Dooley was talking about wanting to play Alabama in a spring game 40 years ago, uh, but everyone, you know, seems to forget that or doesn't want to give Vince Dooley credit. I do. Um, but I think that that's a possibility as well. Why? Because it adds value to the television contract as well. So I'm always cynical about everything, I guess. I- I'm assuming that some of what we're hearing about this right now is just posturing the part of the SEC to to get the money that it wants from ESPN for the, for the better value the games would provide. But if we take this at face value for a moment, Mike, and if there really is a chance that there might not be, certainly not unanimous agreement that the SEC should move to a nine-game conference schedule, but even not even like majority agreement that would be the case, to me, this would be a huge loss. If Georgia's not playing both Florida and Auburn every single year, then we've made a huge mistake. If Alabama's not playing Tennessee every year, I think we've made a huge mistake. If Texas A&M's not playing both, uh, or I should say if Tech's not playing both Oklahoma and Texas A&M every year, I think we're making a huge mistake. And in an eight-game conference slate, some of those rivals just won't be able to play each other each and every year, which to me would be a huge, huge loss. And you know, if ESPN can't see that, or if you know if the SEC and ESPN can't come to some sort of agreement on that, then I'm honestly not sure what we're doing. Well, the loss to me is going to be in our pocketbook because they're going to make that money up some way, Brandon. You better believe that. They're going to pass those fees on to the fans. You're going to start PCing more streaming costs and higher cable costs if they're not able to get this rich TV deal from ESPN. So fans need to be rooting for that as well. 
Yeah, I mean, and we'll finish with this. You said kind of alluded this a moment ago. I mean, I have no problem telling you I'm the biggest SEC homer on the planet, but I have no problem telling you. The Big Ten's got a better media rights deal than the SEC does. I think it's got better TV partners, uh, and it's obviously it's more lucrative. What a lot of people don't realize is the Big Ten schools are, for the most part, just larger than their SEC counterparts. I don't think that makes the Big Ten a better league because the SEC still has the better players, and it's obviously still winning the head-to-head games that matter. But there's no doubt the Big Ten right now has a better media rights deal and better media rights partners i think i think espn's got a real responsibility here to show they can kind of play at the highest level and uh you know you know not come across as quite so cably in comparison to these uh big time broadcast networks that the big 10 is going to be airing on yeah you know we could get into a lot of the politics of the big 10 and and in you know um some of the decisions they make uh, excuse me uh into the politics of espn and some of the decisions they make and you know and it, it, it's not our problem until it is right and if we're talking about ESPN not having enough money to be an efficient partner for the SEC, but I think it's too early to say that. I really do. I think it's too early to say that. Um, you know, I, I'm not uh, panicking here. Obviously, I covered the Big Ten uh, for four years. I went to a Big Ten school. I understand that product. It's the same but different. Um, you know, there's a lot of great things about the Big Ten as well as the SEC. Um, I've, I've chosen the SEC for my life, right? I mean, I've spent, you know, what, 26 in my 30 years covering the SEC for, for a reason. I chose to live in the South. I chose to raise my children in the South. I was born in the South. Um, at the same time, I do see the values of the Big Ten. It, it, it is a TV turf war. Make no mistake about it. Um, the SEC is a great piece for ESPN to play. It's up to them to figure out how to do that efficiently. I would be really, really disappointed, Brandon, if we didn't see this nine-game schedule and, and the rivalries protected. And you know, the only thing I don't like about it is I, you know, I kind of cough and choke a little bit on playing Kentucky as a third team. That's just, that's just, you know, an uncouth, unflavored, uh, you know, tough pill to swallow. Nobody wants to play that program every year. I mean, it's a, it's a basketball school. It's, a, it's a difficult road trip. Um, you don't really get any points for beating them, even though uh, Stoops has made them halfway decent. It's, it, it's sad that South Carolina doesn't want to play Georgia as their annual rival, but um, you know, I, I just, you know, to me, you know, the, the tough pill is is keeping Kentucky, you know, playing a basketball school every year and playing in cold weather every November. Well, I've kept you long, but, I mean, to me, the, I don't know that anyone's going to get all three of the choices they want for their permanent opponents if, if that were to go down, but it would be kind of dumb to think that Georgia's got two SEC teams about three hours away in both Columbia and Knoxville and wouldn't get either one of them as a permanent opponent. From a just geographic standpoint, that seems a little bit silly. Yeah, well, so does putting Missouri in the East, but, you know, here we are. So, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll see what the SEC does. And, you know, they got to please everybody, right? They got to please everyone. And that's a big part of this. And, you know, you know, um, you know, Nick Saban's, you know, crying tears over, you know, who he's supposed to play, you know, and, and Auburn, poor Auburn may end up drawing Georgia and Alabama. I mean, if anybody's got to complain, it's them. Um, but, you know, like to your point, um, it, I, I'm with you. Kentucky's a long way off to be an annual opponent when, when South Carolina is that close. And, you know, you got to go through Knoxville to get there. It just, it seems a bit ridiculous to me and silly, um, but again, you know, there's a lot of politics that are being played behind the scenes, and um, you know, Josh Brooks is, is going to represent um, Georgia's best interests, and I think Florida is going to be the number one priority, and Auburn will be the number two, and and, and you, you might have to take that uh, that distasteful blue pill uh, and, and play that basketball school every year. Mike, good stuff. Thank you for being here today. I'll always look forward to reading uh, you online, dognation.com. Also, as we said, really fun stuff with Kenny McIntosh last week there as well. And great to be with you on the Dog Nation cruise, too. So uh, really, really good, Mike, and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, I had a lot of fun, Brandon. We'll talk to you later, man. Yes, sir.
Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, so there's more I want to say about both those topics here coming up because ultimately the only thing that matters to me is what the fans want. Like, you know, the, the TV contracts, I won't see a dime of that money. So, like, I, I, don't, I don't care about, you know, uh, what makes the SEC more money. They're not putting that money in my pocket, so it doesn't matter to me at all. I care about the uh, fan experience. We'll talk more about it from that lens. Here coming up moment. Prior to that, though, let's go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And Mike said it. We had a great time on our Dog Nation cruise. And I'm already hearing from folks saying, B8, when's the next one going to be? Well, <laughs> more details on that to come, uh, hopefully. Uh, but I can tell you this. You don't have to wait on Dog Nation for your next Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. You do one this summer. And, you know, it's, more, it's funny. You know, my kids have been so mad at me because they didn't get the chance to go on the Dog Nation cruise because they had school. Like, if you're 11 and 8, you're so confused by that. Like, how come Daddy's going on a cruise and we got to go to school? That just didn't seem fair to them necessarily. Uh, but it did get us excited about the fact that as a family, we get a chance to take a short uh, Royal Caribbean cruise vacation coming up a little bit later on this summer. It's one of those things where, you know, we're taking my mom, it's my brother and his family, me, my family. And with all those people, it's a lot of schedules. You got to try to sort of figure out how it all fits together. So what made sense for us is, hey, let's just do one over a weekend. We'll get to Port Canaveral on a Friday. We'll sail out. We'll be back on Monday. If you wanted to, you go to work that next day, uh, you know, right there on Monday if you really had to. Working remote and things like that. Uh, but it's just a short, short, simple getaway. You got a perfect day, Coco K. You got an ass on the Bahamas. You got that great experience. It's just kind of sort of truncated, to use a bigger word than I should, right there into a weekend. So we're going to do that later on. Uh, you get a chance to make a similar decision if you want to there as well. But for you, and I was talking to our producer, Michael Carvel, about this the other day, uh, about how if you really want to get the, the best experience, the full experience of everything that a Royal Caribbean cruise ship has to offer, it's one of those seven night stays on an Oasis class ship because now you're going to bring in the various neighborhoods, not just the Royal Promenade that most all the ships have now, but like the Central Park area where, you know, you're, it's, it's like being outdoors, but you're inside the ship. It's amazing. Uh, the, the the boardwalk area, all the great entertainment venues like the Aqua Theater with the high diving show, you know, right there on the back of a cruise ship. It's amazing. Uh, of course, all the, the various entertainment, specialty restaurants, new concepts. And then don't forget, not too early to start thinking about. In fact, I believe you can book this right now. January of 2024, it gets going. Icon of the Seas, largest cruise ship to ever sail completely redefining the cruise experience. Our great friend Jessica Slater can tell you all about it. Give her a call, 770-718-9147. 770-718-9147. Royal Caribbean Believes, a great travel agent, makes a great Royal Caribbean cruise even better. Jessica can help you with all of that. All right, so let me kind of get back into the, the playoff thing because it came out yesterday. And as I said before, I believe this is probably good. But anytime a substantial number of people sort of have a different kind of reaction... I'm always kind of on guard for what is that I might not be seeing here. Like, I do truly believe that if Georgia's hosting one of these games in 2024, whether it be the Friday game or one of the three Saturday games, you know, even if it is close to Christmas, it kind of, that's hard for those of us who love Christmas, but I don't think it diminishes the college football playoff. If anything, it's Christmas that kind of gets short-shrifted there and probably not the CFP uh, if history is our guide. And as Mike kind of pointed out a moment ago, you know, NFL fans have dealt with this for a long time. You know, Christmas Day has been an NFL Sunday. You know, the, the NFL season sort of extends almost to a new year. So, you know, Christmas time has been, you know, playoff, you know, battles and things like that down to the wire in the regular season for quite some time. So this is really just college football kind of getting into what football at the NFL level sort of had going on there for a while. But for some fans, this feels a little bit too different. And I guess maybe the biggest complaint of all is the idea that if you start looking ahead, to these, you know, 2025, 26 seasons of the 2024, 25, like the next two seasons after this, in other words, that you're talking about playing both the semifinal and the uh, 
and the national champion, or I should say the semifinal games on a Thursday and a Friday. That's the big issue here because that's not a that's not New Year's Eve, that's not New Year's Day, that's just Thursday, January 9th, and Friday, January 10th. Like nothing could feel smaller than that. Hey, it's a Thursday, it's a Friday, you know, because you know the average Georgia fan's not traveling to these games. The average Georgia fan's trying to get home from work to come watch it, and like that just does not feel very big. And it's obviously done because that's what TV wants, uh, and it's done to try to avoid the NFL as much as you possibly can, but. It just doesn't feel that big necessarily to a lot of college football fans to say, hey, our sport's a Saturday sport, but we're playing these semifinal games on a Thursday and a Friday. And I sort of get the concern. I ultimately feel like it's probably going to be okay. I ultimately feel like that the the 12-team playoffs is going to give us new storylines. Who's in, who's out? You know, how big would it be to play one of these games between the hedges? Like, what if Georgia's got to go on the road some year in the future to some Big Ten team? It's going to be five degrees. I mean, that's not all that fun, but it is certainly a different kind of uh, storyline than we've ever had in college football in the past. I think this is going to probably be okay. For the most part, I believe the 12-team playoff is better than the 14-team playoff. And if this is what you have to do for a couple of years for it, I think we'll probably kind of get used to it. Now, once these contracts with the New Year Six Bowls come to an end, you have a chance to kind of reevaluate this format after two years' worth, the 2024, the 2025 seasons. Uh, once you have a chance to kind of look at this beyond that, then who knows what it becomes then. But I am less negative about this, I believe, than some other people are. But uh, nonetheless, I wanted to uh, wanted to point that out about just some of the chatter that seems to be out there there on that. And then getting back to the SEC scheduling part of this here for a moment, I thought that Seth Emerson from The Athletic had an interesting report about this. And one of the things that Seth kind of brought out was is, is the possibility there may be far more than just like Kentucky, who last year was pretty openly reported uh, of being against the move to a nine-game conference schedule. There may be far more teams who are at least a little bit skeptical about this. I think he even suggested, or at least some source or something suggested, that the vote could end up being split, that, that you might have you know eight teams in favor of it, eight teams against it. Uh, because right now it seems like that ESPN has not shown a huge willingness yet to pony up the big bucks that would justify the SEC making a big move like this. And I told you before, you know, I don't care about the money necessarily because the money's not ending up in my pocket, but from a business standpoint, I do understand why the SEC might not want to give this away for free. In other words, if if Texas, Texas A&M are playing on a yearly basis, if Georgia Auburn are playing on a yearly basis, if Alabama Tennessee are playing on a yearly basis, if you're if you're holding on to that and then adding one more big conference game to everybody's slate, you're giving better inventory over to ESPN. And if they're not going to pay you for it, then from a business standpoint, I sort of get why making an extra three million dollars by hosting a home game against you know. Uh, Talladega Tech, I, I sort of get why that might be a better overall business decision. I don't think that's good for fans. I think it's going to be absolutely frustrating if ESPN and the SEC can't come together on this. But I do understand why the SEC wouldn't want to give product away for free. And listen, I'm very thankful that I get a chance every day to talk about one of the power programs in the SEC. But if this wasn't Dog Nation Daily, if this was you know, uh, Mississippi State Nation Daily, if this was Vandy Nation Daily, Missouri Nation Daily, I sort of get why they wouldn't be super thrilled about taking one extra loss every year just so ESPN can make a few more dollars. I, I sort of get their plight in all of this. Now, ultimately, I don't think the weaker SEC program should rule the day in terms of where this league is heading, but I kind of understand voting in favor of your own self-interest. I think more people should probably do that kind of thing in life. And uh, um, 
So I sort of get why they may not be super thrilled about this unless there's some huge financial windfall coming your way. So we're a couple of weeks away from having a resolution on this. It sounds like there's a little more back chatter going on. I guess the genesis of all this is is that I tell you it's a good life. You know, you talk about a great life being a sports, uh, uh, you know, college athletics administrator. It's like every single week you have a meeting now. Zoom and Microsoft Teams and technology like that exists and it has for a long time and yet nonetheless all these meetings always seem to be in person they always seem to be at some tropical locale you know the SEC spring meetings will be in Destin I guess the SEC athletic directors this week have been in Rosemary Beach <laughs> really funny you know we could have a Zoom meeting for free but we'll fly everybody down to Rosemary Beach we'll sit around and talk about this and listen I don't hate it you know, if you get a chance to do it you probably should uh, but nonetheless always very inter- interesting to see that so I guess the ADs are meeting right now and that's where some of this is kind of coming from but a little bit of saber rattling maybe about uh about where the future of sec scheduling is going to look like whether or not espn is willing to pay for better games and the expanded conference schedule now on to something completely different it's getting late on to something completely different here um i saw this thing oh i think it was the 24 7 sports florida message board that had this one of their one of their uh guys had written about this and this is all kind of like anonymous and off the record but still very interesting we told you earlier this week about some issues that florida is going to have the transfer portal that they lost an offensive lineman to ohio state because florida did not want to host him on a visit until like may and the assumption the part of some was this was billy napier's attempt to uh, basically kind of manage his own roster. In other words, he didn't want to host recruits, some have said. He didn't want to host transfer portal recruits while the portal was still open because if you're a Florida player and they're hosting a recruit at your position, all of a sudden that gets you thinking twice and maybe you looked bold. That doesn't seem like the most honest gesture on the part of Billy Napier. And, you know, who knows if it's even true. That's just a suggestion, but some have suggested. So, in this particular case, Florida ended up losing, it would seem, a transfer portal recruit because uh, he made his decision about where he was going to go before Florida was even willing to host him on a visit. In the eyes of some Gators fans, this just sort of seemed like moving a little too slow at the portal. Napier is has of yet has not yet brought in a spring transfer portal recruit for a guy at one point in time kind of professed himself trying to be kind of like the portal king you know being the most aggressive active player in the portal that's proven not to be true for billy napier during his two seasons at florida here thus far but then there's this other thing from 24 7 sports where an unnamed player and he didn't want to name himself because apparently he was being very candid an unnamed player who reportedly had gotten 15 division like you know basically like power five division one type offers coming out of the transfer portal uh florida told him according to this report at 24 7 sports that he needed to send them some film they needed to evaluate him if they want to give him an offer and then he you need to send us a huddle tape, basically, uh, in order for us to see if you're a player that's good enough to play at Florida, despite the fact that he had 15 offers of the place. We don't know who the player is, but what matters here is uh, Florida fans are beside themselves about this, that Napier's just moving at a snail's pace. The portal completely mishandled this whole situation, while other players that might be able to be of use to Florida are going other places. Now, we don't really know what Napier's side of this is because the player in this case is not named. But for a lot of Florida fans, they look at a roster that seems pretty thin and does not exactly seem to be set up very well to to succeed this upcoming season. The transfer portal was 
for them hopefully supposed to be a way of kind of mitigating some of that. But it looks like Billy Napier's not handling his business here too well. Uh, so I thought you might think that was a kind of funny. Florida fans not happy with Napier here right now. And then I was going to do two more stories. Let me just do one more story because we're kind of getting a little bit late here. I saw where uh, Brian Kelly was doing one of those like rubber chicken things. Uh, uh, you know, he's firing up his fans, which he has every right to do. Listen, you know, he beat uh, Alabama last year when the SEC West. Uh, but I forget what the exact phrase that he used, but it's one of those things where he sort of uh, 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 dropped the G. I think it was something along the lines of, uh, you know, beating Alabama sure does feel good. Now, I drop my Gs all the time. I don't say beating. I say beaten because I'm from Georgia. Uh, Brian Kelly's from, like, you know, the northest part of the northeast there ever could be. He doesn't drop his Gs typically when he speaks. But it's one of those things, once again, where he's kind of kind of leaning back into that family version of himself. Uh, feels good beating Alabama. Sure does feel good or something like that. But, listen, you can fake a southern accent all you want when you're, you know, down there doing what Brian Kelly did this past year. And I, I'll, I'll tell you this, and we'll kind of wrap up after this because it shows about six hours long. Um I think that LSU is probably the most interesting team in the SEC this offseason. And I do believe they're the most underrated team in college football right now. And I just think it's really, really amazing that everyone sort of seems to be the belief, or I shouldn't say everyone, but certainly predominantly the the national media types that we've heard from over the course of the last couple of months are kind of zeroing in on Alabama and potentially a return to prominence for them after not really being in the playoff discussion a year ago, at least not legitimately in the playoff discussion, lost two regular season games. It seems like by comparison, we're not hearing nearly as much about LSU, but LSU beat Alabama, as Brian Kelly is well within his rights to point out to his own fans, and it sounds like this week he's done that. I think that LSU has two quarterbacks on its roster better than anything that Alabama has on its roster. And if you're looking for a second SEC team to make the playoff to go along with Georgia – to me, LSU just seems like a far better, more likely pick than Alabama does. That we, we started the show kind of laughing and joking about Alabama coming coming to grips with the fact that Georgia is the new standard, the fact that Georgia has distanced itself from Alabama. Let me conclude by saying this. Here's how true this really is. Georgia has distanced itself from Alabama so much now that Georgia isn't even Alabama's problem anymore. Alabama's problem is not Georgia because Georgia's so far out in front, Alabama can't even see them. Alabama's real problem right now is the team I was just mentioning. That's LSU. The first thing that Alabama's got to prove is, can you beat LSU? Can you do what you couldn't do a year ago? Because you may have the same quarterback playing this game they had last season. And I think Alabama fans have spent most of this offseason sort of thinking there was some sort of savior walking through the door. Either some sort of brilliant coordinator or some sort of touted quarterback, you know, some sort of guy that was going to come back and make Alabama feel like Alabama again. It just didn't happen. Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele, they may be fine hires, but they're not viewed as game changers necessarily you know the Buckner Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame you know, he had an okay bowl performance against uh, uh, South Carolina I think he still threw two picks in that game uh, threw almost as many interceptions and touchdowns last season he may be okay but it's not like you know he's Drake May somebody that's going to come in and completely resurrect the entirety of the Alabama offense that if Alabama has a little bit of a return to glory here it's going to come from coaching up players who are currently on the roster. There is no magical export uh, or import, I guess is the word I'm looking for. There's no magical import here to uh, change the uh, fortunes for the, for the Crimson Tide. LSU, by comparison, looks like a pretty good football team right now. LSU-Alabama, very, very interesting comparison there in the SEC West. And ultimately, the Tigers on top in the SEC West, that's a bigger problem for Alabama right now than Georgia is because – Frankly, right now, Georgia and Alabama just don't live in the same zip code. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I was going to do another story. I'm going to say this for tomorrow. We had a little bit of a coaching shakeup 
in the SEC the last few days. It's it's really weird how some things just get lots of attention, some things get very little attention. I think the NFL draft probably kind of sucked all the oxygen out of this, but there's a little bit of a weird coaching shakeup in the SEC involving a couple different schools. I'll tell you more about that coming up tomorrow. For now, uh, oh yeah, by the way, uh, by all means, forgot to, uh, forgot to do this. Um, we'll let the music play, no problem about that, because listen, it's always worthy of a fight song when you think about enjoying the finish long drink, because every time you score a touchdown, uh, a long drink, a great way to celebrate with all of that. In fact, there are four different varieties of the finished long drink that you can enjoy and use, and uh, especially this time of year, get back on golf courses again. Boy, finished long drink goes great there. How about uh, you know being at the you know the pool? A lot of folks kind of getting out on back patios right now. Whatever that is for you, the finished long drink goes great. You can try the cranberry, the long drink strong, eight and a half percent alcohol by volume. Long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. The traditional comes in a blue can. Got the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick. The finished long drink just goes great with whatever you have going this time of year. It's great to be outside. I think the finished long drink, to be honest, it just sort of tastes better outside. It tastes great whenever, but it tastes great when you're outside. So try yourself some finished long drink. Go to longdrink.com. You can find out the entire story. You know, It kind of comes in a can, but it's not. It's a brand new, relatively new category. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail. That means for those of you that like mixed drinks, you're going to love the finished long drink. Just pop the top and enjoy. You can pour it into a glass. However you want to enjoy it, you can do it. Comes from Finland, been in America now for a few years, and it's in Georgia and all over the place. So go to thelongdrink.com to find out more about that. All right. Uh, speaking of folks having a good time and enjoying some beverages, there was certainly plenty of that uh, on the uh, Dog Nation cruise. We'll make our golden shoe here this today. Our buddy Nez Baldazan shared this with us. This is one of the photos we took after dinner one night, some of us on the cruise. You see Jeff right there. You see me kind of in the back. Some of the great folks. I see Robin Washington there from Royal Caribbean kind of back there in the back there too. And a great group of folks were on that Dog Nation cruise with us. I'm, I'm going to try to share some more of these. I'm going to try not to hit you over the head with our vacation photos too much. I won't make this like a slideshow. Uh, but every now and then when we get a chance, somebody shares one of these with, with me. Nez saying that he's ready for uh, to go for three and 23 and another dog nation cruise boy i'm so glad to have folks like that on the ship with us and uh uh so glad to have uh, so many so many great folks there so good time there we'll show you more of those pictures uh, as folks kind of send them in for a golden shoe and things like that so with that said 178 days from now georgia back in jacks will beating up florida again billy napier taking some heat from his own fans and it may get worse sometime around the cocktail party y'all have a great day we'll see you back here tomorrow dog nation daily presented by breda pest management